This is the Intego Mac Podcast. The voice of Mac security. For Thursday, September 29th, 2022. In this special edition of the Intego Mac Podcast, we take an episode-long look at the problems and potential security issues with expired domain names. Here are the hosts of the Intego Mac Podcast, veteran Mac journalist Kirk McElhern and Indigo's Chief Security Analyst, Josh Long. Good morning, Josh. How are you today? I'm doing well. How are you, Kirk? I'm doing just fine. You are at a security conference this week, aren't you? That's right. Actually, I was last week, too. We didn't mention it on the show, but last week I was presenting at Texas Cyber Summit, and then this week I'm at the Virus Bulletin Conference all week, and we'll also be presenting there as well. And that's in Prague. That is in Prague. Yes, my first time in Prague. Okay, we wanted to talk about the dangers of expired domains and old email addresses. And you were saying just before we started recording that there's no procedure to retire a domain. It's like if if you've saved joshwong.com and you don't keep paying for it, someone else can pick it up and pretend they're Josh Wong. Well, not really, but kind of pretend they're Josh Wong. Why is it like in baseball where they retire jerseys? By the way, I don't own joshlong.com, but I do watch that domain very carefully to see when it will expire someday. <laughs> yes, this is a really big problem because if you ever let a domain lapse... As we'll see, we're going to discuss a bunch of different scenarios that can be potentially problematic. Most people don't really think about things like this when they let a domain expire. In most cases, maybe it's not that big of a deal if you let the domain expire. But if you've used that domain for email in particular, maybe you've used that email address to register at websites. And so maybe those accounts still exist. And as we'll see, that can be a pretty big problem. Okay. So how about some numbers, Josh? You've got some interesting statistics. 200,000 domains expire every day? Right. That's a lot. I mean, if you think about it, how many of those domains are being used? You know, again, somebody might have an email address set up there. Some of them are not a big deal. Maybe some of these domains, I'm sure, are just ones that somebody registered and didn't really ever use them for anything, and so they just let them lapse. I'm sure that a lot of these domains are actually maliciously used. <laughs> They're registered specifically for malicious purposes, and they get whatever little tiny bit of use out of them before they get blacklisted everywhere, and then they have to retire them, right? So that also is a thing that happens. And so I'm sure those kind of, especially the latter, that probably really inflates that number. But even so, 200,000 domains expiring daily, that's, that's a really big number. Okay, we have some interesting information. Some security researchers in Australia took control of six domain names previously registered to law firms following several firms that shut down or completed mergers with other firms. And that's a really interesting one because a law firm, as you say, they would have email addresses with the names of the lawyers, and these could be used for accounts with different legal services or financial services or even other businesses where a lawyer has access to an account with a business like accountants often do. It seems like there's something missing here. As you said, there's no way to permanently retire a domain, but there's also no way to permanently retire an address, an email address at a domain. Right. Well, yeah. And that would be 
permanently retiring an address would be entirely up to the organization or individual who owns that domain, right? If you're setting up email as a service for your domain, then you are responsible for determining what will happen if, for example, maybe you have an employee who leaves. Do you want that email address that that employee had to be permanently disabled. And so let's say you have John Smith who stops working for your organization. Maybe the next month, Jane Smith starts working for you. Do you reuse J Smith or do you say, no, you're going to have to be J Smith one or something else because we don't want you to get emails intended for a previous employee. So these are some things that the domain owner has to think about. Okay. Here's an interesting anecdote. In the early 1990s, my first email account was with a small provider in France. And when I went to set up the account, he said, oh, you can't use that password. It's already in use. So the email system back then could not cope with the same password from multiple users. It's almost as if maybe it was just all aliases to different accounts from one account, and it was the password that differentiated. And also, he told me that someone else had the password that I had set up, which wasn't extremely secure, but still it told me that I could have tried other email accounts on that server with that password. Oh boy. Yeah. (laughs) Hopefully you don't ever see anything even remotely similar to that these days. Nobody should ever know your password. That that includes the service provider. So if you're registering for an account, you assume and hope that they are not actually storing your password in plain text. They should never be able to see what your password was. They should be hashing it and storing it securely so that there is absolutely no way for any employee to be able to find out what that password was. The only way that you might theoretically be able to find it out is if your password was so bad that if people just try the the hashing function over and over again, if they're not salting hashes, and this is getting very technical here, but if they're just hashing passwords and not adding anything else to them, it may be possible for somebody to reproduce the same hash and figure out what passwords were being used. Well, this was 30 years ago, Josh. This was a different... Plain text passwords is not happening very often anymore. Yeah. There's actually a website called (laughs) plaintextoffenders.com. The site hasn't been updated for a while, but they've given lots of different examples of websites that are actually storing passwords in plain text. And you know that because when you say, I forgot my password, they'll email you your actual password. This is scary stuff. But almost nobody does this anymore. Okay, let's go back to these Australian researchers. What were they able to discover now that they had taken control of a bunch of domains? Those researchers discovered that after having re-registered those domains for themselves, for these six law firm domains, after three months, they were able to capture approximately 25,000 emails in total that were intended for those law firms. They were also able to recover actual passwords used by some of those legal professionals who worked there. And they were able to do that because of previously exposed data breaches and things. And they were also able to successfully attempt password recovery in many popular online services because, of course, usually the password recovery process sends you an email. And then they give you a one-time link, you use that to change your password, and Now you have access to the account. So the reason they got some 25,000 emails is that people were still emailing these old addresses. And you can have an email server that's set up that any email to an address at 
joshwong.com, for example, goes to an admin account as a sort of a, a catch-all address, right? So people were still emailing these law firms saying, hey, look at these sensitive documents that I'm sending you in the email. Can you help me with that? And yet it was just going to researchers, fortunately, rather than criminals. Yes, exactly. And so this is one of the things that we should really be thinking carefully about is that, yes, in this case, it was security researchers had an ethical code that they were following, right? But the bad guys might register a domain and use this for very unethical and illegal purposes, right? This could be a really serious problem in certain circumstances, especially this law firm example is a great example of where it could be a really big problem. So I'm thinking not a Tom Cruise movie, but a legal thriller where some criminals are just paying attention to all the law firms that go bust and waiting until the domain names expire and then picking them up and collecting all this sort of information. I wouldn't be surprised if there are criminals who do this because the amount of information they can get Maybe not always financial information, but information that can be exploited in some way must be tremendous. Exactly. Imagine the the potential use cases for blackmail, among other things. This is a potentially a really, really serious problem. But there's no way, if, if a domain expires, there's no way to make that expiration permanent so nobody else can ever register it. So kind of the only solution here is just keep domains permanently. Like you have to continually register them if they have been used for but some. But you have to continually pay them. <laughs> right. It's not free. Yeah. So at some point, I mean, you may have to let that domain expire. Maybe you keep it going for 80 years and then, you know, your descendants are now responsible for renewing that domain. You know, at some point that domain's probably going to expire unless eventually they're comes a process for permanently expiring domains, which there currently is not. So that's interesting because I reserved my first domain, McElhern.com, my last name, back in 95, a long, long time ago, because I was working as a freelance translator and I switched email providers and realized that I did not have a permanent email address and realized how important it was. At one point, I didn't get a notice that it was expiring. Fortunately, someone sent me an email and it bounced, so I was able to capture it again a couple of years later. Many years after that, I decided I wanted to change my website branding, and I liked the idea Kirkville. Someone had done a web design for me, and he had put a little sign, Kirkville, like the sign when you drive into a town. And I looked for the Kirkville.com domain. It was owned by the town of Kirkville, I believe, in upstate New York. And okay, it's never going to be available, I thought. And then once I looked and it was now owned by a domain squatter, I paid a couple hundred dollars to get the domain. I don't think I've ever gotten any emails intended for that town of Kirkville, but I could have, and I wouldn't have even thought of it back then that I might have useful information. <laughs> yeah, maybe you should set up a catch-all email address <laughs> and see if you get anything interesting. Well, I'm pretty sure I have one, yeah. But I don't think I've ever seen anything like that. That's very interesting. So we've talked about the Have I Been Pwned website, Pwned, P-W-N-E-D. When you're pwned, someone gets access to your computer, your accounts, or whatever. How do they work with these domains that are no longer being used? Well, the way that you're supposed to be able to use this website, of course, if anybody individually wants to put in an email address, you can find out, you know, 
has my email address ever appeared in a data breach, you know, including passwords that may have leaked or things like that. So anybody can do that individually. If you are a domain owner, they give you an opportunity to, first of all, prove that you are the domain owner. And if you can prove that, then they can give you a full list of all the you know, compromised email accounts on that domain. This can be a really good thing if you're a business owner, because you should want to make sure that none of your employees, for example, are reusing passwords that may have been exposed to the public. And so this is a good thing. However, with expired domains, have I been pwned has no way of knowing that you are not the original domain owner. And so you can also find out all of the email addresses that have ever appeared in a data breach with that domain that you now own. But you can find out the email address and the password through them, right? Exactly. Well, no, they, they won't tell you the password, okay. but they can tell you what data breach. And then you might be able to find that data somewhere on the dark web, for example. Right. They'll say that a particular brand's website was hacked and then you can get into that website and find the person's account. Okay, interesting. We're going to take a break. We're going to come back with some really interesting example of domain names that are being reused for very different purposes than originally. Protecting your online security and privacy has never been more important than it is today. Intego has been proudly protecting Mac users since 1997, and our latest Mac protection suite includes the tools you need to stay protected in 2022. Indigo's Mac Premium Bundle X9 includes Virus Barrier, the world's best Mac anti-malware protection. Net Barrier, for powerful inbound and outbound firewall security. Personal Backup will keep your important files safe from ransomware. And much more to help protect, secure, and organize your Mac. Best of all, it's compatible with macOS Monterey and the latest Apple Silicon Macs. Download the free trial of Mac Premium Bundle X9 from Intego.com today. When you're ready to buy, Indigo Mac Podcast listeners can get a special discount by using the link in this episode's show notes at podcast.intigo.com. That's podcast.intigo.com. And click on this episode to find the special discount link exclusively for Intigo Mac Podcast listeners. Intigo, world-class protection and utility software for Mac users, made by the Mac security experts. Okay, what started us looking into this topic some months ago was the fact that we've seen a couple of domains that were familiar to us, but that have been reused in very different ways. I think the first one was Kagi, K-A-G-I. Now, people who've been using Macs for a long time, they'll know that Kagi used to be a payment processor for independent software. And now it's been taken over by a company that's made a web browser. Now, given what we just said, it's a bit disturbing that something that was used to sell software and, and transfer money has been taken over by someone else. Yeah, that is a potential problem. In this case, I mean, theoretically, we can hope that they're not doing anything bad now that they are the new owners of the domain. But they actually, in their frequently asked questions on their website, they say, are you affiliated with the legendary 
Kagi shareware platform? And the answer says, no, that Kagi went bankrupt in an unfortunate turn of events. We liked the name and acquired it when we got the chance. So <laughs> that's kind of interesting. But uh, yeah, this happens in the real world. I just did a who is check in terminal. Who is is a command you can enter in terminal. You type who is space and then a domain name and you can find information such as when it was registered, when it expires and all that. Kagi.com was created in 1993. Now, if it had expired and then been picked up, the creation date would have been later. So it looks like they acquired the domain from the company rather than just discovering that it had been expired and then took it over. Possibly. There are a number of different scenarios, and, and it may depend on the domain name registrar, the company that issued that domain. Possibly what happened is maybe it kind of went into a soft expiration period, went up for auction. So the registrar maybe in that case owned it because it had expired, because nobody was paying for that domain anymore. And so maybe they put it up for auction. It could have been that kind of a scenario. So in that, in that scenario, you would still have the original registration date. Okay, so another example, and this one really surprised me because this is a brand that I know. My first stereo I bought from Radio Shack on a layaway plan. I put, I was working at a Carvel ice cream store in Queens, New York. I put 20 bucks a week into this stereo and it had like a turntable and speakers and it was music. Radio Shack, the venerable place where you could buy almost any electronic stuff. And now it's a company doing cryptocurrency? Well, it was for a brief period of time. Actually, it seems that Radio Shack now regained control of that domain. But there was a period of time, it, there's a little banner, if you go to RadioShack.com right now, it says Shack is back, but there's a banner right across the top that says looking for Radio Shack crypto. Swap is now live and uh, they, they say enter app. And the new domain for that is now RadioShack.org. So RadioShack, the electronic seller, currently has control again of RadioShack.com. It's not, not a crypto site anymore. But RadioShack's still in business, right? Or no? So did they just happen to let it expire? Because we hear stories about this, that someone lets a domain name expire. Didn't Microsoft do this at some point in the 90s that didn't renew the domain and some white hat hacker picked it up quickly? Well, what actually happened with this, it looks like Radio Shack, of course, Radio Shack used to uh, have a lot of different stores. I, if I remember right, I think they have one retail store that still exists, and uh, they now currently primarily exist as an online electronics store. But for a period of time, RadioShack.com was being repurposed as a cryptocurrency-related website. Now, if you go to RadioShack.com, they're using it to sell electronics again, and there's a little banner across the top that says, Looking for RadioShack Crypto, Swap is now live, Enter app, and they link to RadioShack.org, where now they've moved their cryptocurrency stuff. So, in this case, it wasn't that a domain had actually expired. The domain owners were repurposing it for something else. A little bit different scenario, but this is another thing that can happen. It's not as big of a risk as long as the, the domain owner is still the same, right? It, it would be potentially a bigger problem, though, if somebody else got control of a company's website. The Verge article that we're going to link to in the show notes calls these zombie brands. And apparently there's lots of zombie brands that have disappeared 
but that are living on in some way or another. And I was just clicking through a couple articles. Pan Am. Remember Pan Am, the airline? Well, PanAm.com leads you to PanAmBrands.com, which is Pan Am Brands Licensing. So they're licensing the image of Pan Am. So someone still owns PanAm.com and the Pan Am name and the Pan Am brand, and they're not giving it up, which is really important for what was a well-known you know, brand back in the day. But there must be thousands of these brands like this. And I, Radio Shack is a good example, even though it wasn't, isn't a total zombie brand. You may see a brand that you were familiar with decades ago and think that it's somehow comforting to see that brand name, and yet you could be scammed because it's owned by someone else. Exactly. Yeah. It, it's not always clear. You may not necessarily know that a company doesn't exist anymore, that you know maybe they filed for bankruptcy, maybe they went out of business. And when that happens, they may eventually let go of their domain. There's not really much purpose in renewing a domain that you know, for, for a business that doesn't exist anymore in those kind of scenarios, you may think you're going to a, a website that's now owned by an entirely different group and maybe used for a different purpose. It could even be owned by a malicious party that now is trying to scam people or is distributing questionable software. For example, there are a number of other potential problems when you go to one of these zombie domains. Okay. Another Let's just take a slight right turn here and look at copycat domains, because that's interesting, too. One of the ways that people make copycat domains is, let's say you take apple.com and you make a domain, AP digit one, digit one, e.com, that will look like apple.com in a link and take someone to a website that's not really apple.com. Right. There are lookalike domains that might be more likely to trick somebody if they're, you know, if they're clicking on a link, they might hover over the link. They might see that it kind of looks like apple.com and click on it without thinking too much about it. There are other domains where, for example, maybe someone mistypes a letter, maybe gets the letters a little bit out of order or or maybe their keyboard, you know, one of the letters is kind of sticky. And so sometimes it doesn't fire when it's supposed to. And one of those interesting domains is gale.com, G-A-I-L.com. If you go there in a web browser, there's only just a, a frequently asked questions page. And one of the things that they say is that basically they get a ton of emails every day. They said in 2020, they received a total of 5.9 million hits on their website. And most of these they believe are from people who are mistyping gmail.com <laughs> because gail.com is very similar to gmail.com. And so this is just a, a domain a woman owns. She says her husband bought it for her back in 1996 as a birthday gift, and she's owned it ever since. And because Gmail is such a popular email service, there are people who are trying to send her emails all the time. They're actually trying to send emails to Gmail users, but they're going to her domain by mistake because of a typo. She says that 1.2 million misaddressed emails per week come to her domain. That's really amazing because you don't know how much information there is in those emails. Now, fortunately, this person explains, I'm not putting advertising up here. I'm just putting, it's a very simple page explaining what the website is. Someone else could be doing this maliciously quite easily and you wouldn't know. 
you absolutely wouldn't know unless you sent an email to someone and it didn't get to gmail.com and they said, well, I didn't get your email and you check your sent mail and see that you have a typo. And then you would realize that there was a problem. Maybe security researchers should try to look into that emails that don't go to the right address, but that, there's no way you can find that, is there? The best thing that you could do to research something like this would be to register a similar domain and see what kind of emails you get. I'm sure that there are a lot of domains that are very similar to gmail.com that have already been registered. I'm sure a lot of them have been used for malicious purposes, and I'm sure some of them have been used by security researchers as well. Gale.com just happened to be something that was registered long before Gmail existed, and so she was able to get a very, very short .com. You can't really get a four-letter .com anymore. While you were talking, I was trying a bunch of misspellings for apple.com, and they all resolved to Apple. So Apple, a long time ago, figured this out, A-P-L-E, A-P-P-P-L-E, A-P-P-L-L-E, etc. They've got all of these redirecting to their domain. Exactly. And this is a smart thing that companies can do, especially if you're a big company or you're you know, a company that people might be typoing more often than others. For example, say your name is Hannah, and you registered the domain hannah.com, maybe with two N's, right? Somebody might accidentally type H-A-N-A.com and have that go to somebody else. So if Hannah were not just a person, but maybe a, a, a big brand, you would want to ideally try to get a hold of H-A-N-A.com just in case people are typoing that. Also, you might want to get H-A-N-N-N-A.com in case people accidentally put an extra letter in there. There's a number of things that you can do. There are actually services out there that will help you think of some additional potential typo squatter domains or lookalike domains. Um, for example, .net instead of .com and other things like that as well. So if you have a big brand, there are tools out there that you can use to help you find other domains that maybe you might want to register. But remember, you might want to register them permanently just in case. Right. And you're going to pay 15 bucks a year for each of these domains. And there may be a hundred of them if your company is, has a complicated name. Uh, big companies will do this, but small companies really can't afford to. Okay. One more example. And this was on LinkedIn where you have a number of email addresses. You have a lot of email addresses, Josh. And some of them are no longer in use, but LinkedIn still keeps records of them, don't they? Yeah, this is interesting. I noticed, I think sometime last year, I was going through my LinkedIn settings and I noticed, so there were a whole bunch of email addresses that, that I have listed in there specifically so that people can look me up, right? If I, you know, maybe they used to work with me at some company that I've worked for in the past. And I realized as I'm going through these addresses, you know, Somebody else owns this domain now, or maybe even in one case, this domain might have expired and maybe is no longer being used as an email service. So this could be a potential problem if somebody else now buys up that domain. So I started thinking about this and I'm like, you know, even previous employers, they still have access to their domains. And so if they wanted to, they could actually get into my LinkedIn account I mean, that's crazy to think about, but if they wanted to, they could send an I forgot my password request, right? And depending on how the service is set up, LinkedIn or Facebook is another one that they accept lots and lots of email addresses from you. 
these services might actually send password reset links to all email addresses that you've registered. So this is something you should be very, very careful about. Make sure that on your LinkedIn and, and Facebook in particular, that you don't have any addresses registered that you no longer have access to because somebody else might use it to reset your password and hack into your accounts. Okay. A lot to think about. Links in the show notes to all of the sites we've discussed. And until next week, when you're back in the USA, stay secure. All right. Stay secure. Thanks for listening to the Intego Mac Podcast, the voice of Mac security, with your hosts, Kirk McElhern and Josh Long. To get every weekly episode, be sure to follow us in Apple Podcasts or subscribe in your favorite podcast app. And if you can, leave a rating, a like, or a review. Links to topics and information mentioned in the podcast can be found in the show notes for the episode at podcast.intego.com. The Intego website is also where to find details on the full line of Intego security and utility software, intego.com. <laughs>